ಓಂಜನಂ ನಿತ್ಯಂ ಅನಂತರೂಪಂ ಭಕ್ತಾನುಕಂಪಾಧೃತವಿಗ್ರಹಂ ವೈ ಈಶಾವತಾರಂ ಪರಮೇಶಮಿಡ್ಯಂ ತಂ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ಶಿರಸಾನಮ ಜನನಿ ಸಾರದೇವಿ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಪಾದಪದ್ಮೇತೋಸ್ರಣಮುಹೂರ್ಮುಹು ನಮಸ್ತಿರಾಜಾಯೇಕಾನಂದಸೂರೈ ಸಚ್ಚಿದ್ಸುಖಸ್ವಾಯ ಸ್ವಾಮಿನೇತಾಪಹಾರಿಣಿ ಇನ್ ದ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ಲಾಸ್ ವಿ ವೇರ್ ಇನ್ ದಟ್ ಪೋರ್ಷನ್ ಆಫ್ ಸ್ವಾಮಿ ವಿವೇಕಾನಂದಸ್ ಕರ್ಮಯೋಗ ವೇರ್ ಹಿ ಸ್ಪೀಕಿಂಗ್ that unselfish action by itself without even being complimented complimented by gyana there's the idea that you are the self and the body the mind the complex uh, which constitutes as if your individuality is something which is being witnessed which is not you you not we do not owe them so in gyana yoga that's the idea that you are the self so always be the witness don't get identified with your psychophysical existence and in bhakti ultimately it ends with the idea of sharanagati resignation so sometimes we think that those are the ideas which has to be complemented along with the unselfish act this which we speak of as karma yoga that karma yoga by itself cannot be a path for spiritual evolution that's the general notion so in the last class we ended with that section where we find the tremendous assertion that bold assertion swami vivekananda is making that you may be an atheist you may not believe in god but if you have developed that sense of altruism where there is no sense of return there is no expectation you just do without any expectation even you are ready to give away your life for the cause of others know it for certain it can take you to the liberation direct liberation there is no need for any doctrines any beliefs no support system is required just by unselfish action which results in the self abnegation you can reach the ultimate spiritual freedom so that was the section which we were studying so now we will continue Swamiji will be continuing on those lines for a few more paragraphs to stress the idea which he has already brought home amongst us. So now let us continue with the words of Swami Vivekananda. However much the systems of philosophy and religion may differ, all mankind stand in reverence and awe before the man who is ready to sacrifice himself for others here it is not at all any question of creed or doctrine even men who are very much opposed to all religious ideas when they see 
one of these acts of complete self-sacrifice, feel that they must, they all feel that they must revere it. Have you not seen even the most bigoted Christian when he reads Edwin Arnold's Light of Asia, stand in reverence of Buddha, who preached no God, preached nothing but self-sacrifice? The only thing is that the bigot does not know that his own end and the aim in life is the same as of those from whom he differs. So ultimately all, the, why, what ends up, what results in all sorts of bigotism, all sorts of this crystallization of our beliefs, it's because of the idea that the way I believe that alone is true, everything else is false. But you leave aside the belief. If you go to the idea that what this belief is leading me to, you will find at last it is all speaking of self-abnegation. Nothing else. The self-abnegation is the thing which all the process is speaking of. If you say the way, yes, what is the common thing of all the ways, of all the religious beliefs, whatever denomination you may belong to. It is the, the way is the self-abnegation, annihilation of the ego, and the goal is happiness. So there is not a single religion which speaks that uh, we don't want happiness. Even an atheist wants happiness. That has been spoken very nicely even in our Sankhya philosophy, yoga philosophy. That what's the ultimate goal? There also we find in a very secular manner they're speaking of the ultimate goal. They're not speaking of reaching God or reaching even your own spiritual dimension. What they're speaking of as the ultimate goal? Atyantika dukkha nivritti parama sukha prapti. But in this life, we don't want misery at all. Atyantika dukkha nivritti. That <clears throat> total annihilation of suffering. There should be and what? uninterrupted bliss. There shouldn't be any interruption in our bliss. That is parama sukha prapti. Who doesn't want it? Everyone of us, of us want it. So if you just try to find out all of us, of all the denominations, even an atheist wants that. No one can deny that. And the process knowingly or unknowingly is self-abnegation. The more that previously Swamiji spoke of, the more we think, that's a big paradox, that for my own happiness, I have to gather in through my senses all the pleasures of the world. We will be going away from happiness. The more we can understand, it's not pampering this little self, this little ego. It is not uh, crystallizing the sense of ego. It's more of dissolving, dissolution of the barriers of ego that can really result in atyantika dukkha nivritti parama sukha prapti. The problem with the entire humankind is we all want happiness. And to get happiness, we have started climbing a ladder with the idea that when we climb the ladder, there is a mango tree laden with ripe mangoes and I will reach those mangoes I can pluck it and I can test it. But what has happened with the entire humankind while 
getting up the ladder, they never saw where the ladder is resting, in which wall. There are two walls, side by side. If the ladder is resting in one of the wall, after you get up, you will find that the mangoes are far away. You cannot reach. All the effort goes west. So if I would have kept the ladder in the, the other wall, so with the same effort, I would have reached those mangoes. So the entire world, that's the, that is the Maya, that is the ignorance. We are, after all, we are trying our level best. So much effort is there in getting up the ladder. There's no question about it. As per the question of the getting up of the ladder, we are all ready to get up. But the biggest mistake we have done, we have never checked. We have never judged in which wall we should lean the ladder. We have, at the very beginning, the orientation itself was wrong. The ladder was leaned against the wall, which is far away from the mango tree. You can never reach it. So that's the thing that at the very beginning, if the paradigm is not correct, if our orientation is not correct, we can never reach the goal in spite of all our efforts. We will find in the words of Swamiji with all our efforts, instead of reaching the peak, we end up just at the brink of a precipice, just one step ahead, just there is a, is going to be a great fall, nothing else. So if that same effort, the two mountaineers are taking, if one has is off the track, has lost the track, he may end up in the, just on the brink of a precipice. And if you're in the track with the same effort, you can reach the peak, which was your aim, which was your goal when you started your adventure. So this is our journey for Atyantika Dukkha Nivritti Parama Sukha Prati. The only thing which Swamiji is indicating, all the scriptures are indicating, is don't get off the track. Be in the track. The scriptures are like the GPS, which is helping us to keep us on the track. So here also Swamiji is saying that let us have such a scripture which is broad enough to include all, even the atheist. And that's the karma yoga Swami Vivekananda is propounding, where even there is no need to believe in God. If you're an atheist, well and good. Don't be an abject, uh, gross atheist, like the so-called the charvakas or the Epicureans in the West. What was their idea? That just you have only one life, eat, drink, and be merry. The Charvagas went behind even one step ahead that to eat, drink, and be merry, you may need a lot of wealth. From where you get wealth? You just take loan if you don't have. How to take loan? Know how to speak nicely, have the communication skills. Sometimes I find that this Charvaka philosophy, when we speak of, we feel what a gross philosophy it is. But if you look around, the world is following that. You should have good, in the tertiary economy, the good communication skills. You may not have technical knowledge, nothing, with the good communication skills. That's the charvaka, charuvaka. With the good communication skills, you can get a lot of loans. You must know how to write the paper, how to prepare the documents you get. And then forget about repaying it. Go on, go on taking loans 
and enjoy your life. So that is Epicurean or the Charvaka. What that word Charvaka means? Charu Vaka. Popular philosophy. Charu means pleasing. Vaka means speech. Just to get there's, there's a, that the philosophy which you are speaking that is popular, which may attract the people because it speaks of no effort just to go di- dive directly into the sensed presence of life. So that pleases all. That is a very pleasant word. And even when you are following that path, then also you need charuvaka because to keep yourself happy, somehow you have to fool others. And there's the only way of fooling others is your power of communication. So that was the philo- that is abject uh, uh, cross materialism. We are not speaking of that atheism. There are enlightened atheism who say that forget about God, forget about religion, but yes, to do good to the mankind, to help them to reach out and help human being for the common good, for the welfare of all. There are such atheists. And Swamiji is here giving an idea that knowingly or unknowingly, they're also going to reach the same goal. The more the self-abnegation is complete, the more it is perfect, the more the self is, the so-called selfish I, this ego is annihilated, the more unknowingly they're going towards the same goal. So that's the idea that Swamiji is saying. So now he will say that all the paths are actually leading to the same goal. What he's saying, the worshiper, by keeping constantly before him the idea of God and the surrounding of good, comes to the same point at last and says, thy will be done. How the worshiper starts? There's a God and the God is there who to help me to come out of the struggles of life by keeping my surroundings good. So actually we all start our worship with the idea where God is the means, world is the end. That is okay. It's not that something uh, we should try to get rid of at the very beginning. It's quite okay. Why it's okay? That Bhagavad in, in even in Bhagavad Gita we find that Bhagavan is saying, Krishna is saying that there are four types of devotees. Artha, the Jigyashu, the Artharthi and the Jnani. The Artha, whenever we are in crisis, sometimes we don't remember God, but when we are in crisis, then the thought of God comes. We start praying, oh God, help me out of this situation. That is arti. Sometimes when we find that we are lacking sufficient skills to have sufficient wealth, we go and pray to God. Oh God, somehow help me to get wealth. Let me become rich. That is artharthi. Or for all the desires, I go to God. Jigyashu, some have developed the curiosity to know the other dimension of existence. Is there something which uh, actually really speaks of the spiritual dimension of our existence? So that Jigyashu, those who have started to inquire about the spiritual dimension of existence, they're the Jigyashu. For them also, God is the means, not the end, but the Jnani. The Jnani is the one who has at last realized God, have understood has realized it's not no more make-believe. He has realized God and have understood this world is just a sham show. 
our eternal existence is always in communion with the divine and this sham show will go on for the time being and i have no control over it i have to just play the role which i am playing without seeking without avoiding with a full sense of resignation to the divine that the lord at last will help me out to come out of this situation and be with him always so this is the thing which we find is the idea even in the bhagavad gita we start with the idea that the world is something which is my desire which i want it is something palpably present here in my in my presence in my front and i want to enjoy it with all my senses and god is there to help me out so he will give me a proper environment where i can live peacefully and that peaceful life is here even the one who resorts to meditation mindfulness at last you will find it is the same thing that somehow to get rid of the junks which we think as the junks in this life and to enjoy the pure nectar of divine bliss so as long as god is the means anything else is the end that is not in true sense spirituality but it's good why it's good because somehow you have developed the idea that for help you have to seek something which is beyond this sensate world you have developed a belief in god that there is god even the one who is in crisis and then only he remembers god he or she has developed the idea that there is god the one who is wants wealth for them also the that the idea has developed that belief has developed that there is god so that way all are good because they have faith in that spiritual dimension of existence though it is not properly oriented gradually it will take to the proper orientation how so initially the devotion starts with god as the means and the world as the end and gradually you will find one starts gradually one starts that the world starts to fill that the world is ephemeral yes it may happen many say that go to such and such baba pray your disease will be cured and as uh, many many come and ask me also sometimes we also face that question uh, that swami ji do you feel that going to such and such baba will cure my disease i mean yeah it can be but can you tell me one thing are you not going to die that for the time being for this situation most probably your disease will be cured but can do you even from the bottom of your heart do you believe that you are going to be eternal again some disease will come is your baba so called baba going to help you throughout this eternity by curing you again and again has in this world there is a single instance where just by praying one has become eternal no the nature of the world is ephemeral if it's not that by praying you sometimes don't get cured it is true but if i have my faith in that type of religion it is not going to give me at ultimate satisfaction i will find for the time being i may avert the so called crisis of life but again it comes in different forms again and again again and again and at last 
the frustration is bound to come. That this prayer for well-being in this world, that I have to be surrounded by good, is never going to be realized in this world. And then the faith gradually turns towards resignation. There's a wonderful story of Ramakrishna in the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. That one man has built a house on the top of a mountain. And one day there was a strong uh, uh, wind started blowing and it took the form of a storm. And the house started creaking. It was making noise. And the man understood it is on the verge of collapsing. So he started praying. First he started praying to the wind god. Oh, this Pavan Deva, oh god of the winds, this is your house. This is just your house. Don't break it. Just see that, that, that the way our devotion works. We may say it's your house, but actually I know if it breaks, it is my house which is going to be collapsed, it is going to collapse and where I'm going to stay. So it's just some soothsaying like I'm just trying to fool God by saying, oh, it's your house. Just protect it. And then the creaking increased. The house started shaking. And now this man knows that uh, the son of wind god is Hanuman, Pavandev, Hanuman. Pavanaputra Hanuman. So he started praying, oh, this is Hanuman's house. Please don't break it. Don't break it. Nothing happened. At last it was about to, you know, the verge of collapsing. Then he started saying the name of the Lord of Hanuman. Oh, it is Rama's house. Don't break it. And then at last he realized that it, it is just going to collapse. And if he is still inside, even he is also going to die if the building collapses. He will be crushed to death. So immediately he ran out of the building shouting. Till now he was saying it was winds, wind, it was a Pavandev's god a house, it was Hanuman's house, it was Rama's house. And while running out, it's told it is Rascal's house. So that's what Ramakrishna is saying. It is Rascal's house saying that he's coming out. So that's what happens with us, with our, that as a, as a worshiper, we have the idea of God and we want a very nice surrounding that our house should never break. We start with that. But at last, what happens? We come to the point where we say, thy will be done. So that's the thing Swamiji is saying. That's how the bhakti gradually evolves. The worshiper, by keeping constantly before him the idea of God and the surrounding of good comes to the same point at last and says, thy will be done. What's the same point? The same point of self-abnegation. I don't hold now anything to myself. Let it go off. I come out. I just resign to the divine. Thy will be done. There's another, these parables of Ramakrishna helps us to understand these ideas much better. There's another wonderful parable of Ramakrishna that a sheep was in the deep waters of the ocean and a bird was sitting on the mast. Now it thought of flying to the shore. It started flying towards the east. It got tired, didn't find any land. Came back, sat on the mast for a while, took rest, then flew to the west. The same thing happened. Didn't find any shore. 
came back, flew to the north, flew to the south in all directions. At last it got tired, its wings got tired. It came and sat on the mast, mast with the idea, let the sheep take me where it takes. So all our so-called endeavor in this life, whether the so-called spiritual or material, all endeavors, Sri Ramakrishna is saying is to at last to bring that resignation. How? In the Bengali he's saying Dana Batha, when the wings get tired and then the resignation comes. Before that, it is just the lip service we are doing. When we say I am totally resigned to the divine, most probably it is just a lip service. I have not yet realized what resignation means. So it has to come through Purushakara. So that's the wonderful thing. That some say that there's a constant fight that whether it is the self-effort, Purushakara, or it is the grace, the divine grace, the Kripa, which uh, really entails in our spiritual evolution. Actually, both has a role to play. Till that self-resignation, till your wings are tired, you never have that resignation. Know it for certain. It will be simply a lip service. Only when the wings are tired, then you know it is not the superhuman effort that can lead you to the ultimate spiritual goal. In one of the lectures of Swami Vivekananda, he's saying that human effort won't do, superhuman effort won't do. It's only the divine. It's only the divine that can help us out. So this, all this, your superhuman effort at last is to bring that resignation. When the resignation comes, your ego falls off. Ego is the barrier for the grace. Ramakrishna's words are wonderful. That the grace, the wind of grace is always blowing. It is not in any way partial. It is not biased. It is there for all. But as long as the wall of ego is standing erect, the wind cannot pass through it. It is blowing. It is through that self-effort, at last when that resignation comes, the wall falls off. The wind was always there. The wind of grace was always was there. Now it comes to totally, what is this submerge, to totally uh, dilute you in its, does the grace is there to dilute your ego. Uh, this ego has fallen off to dilute your entire personality and to merge you with the divine. So that's the idea which we find Ramakrishna with the help of the parables is picking off. And that's the thing you will find that Swamiji is saying here, that so-called worshiper, a devotee, what he is doing is constantly keeping the idea of God. At the beginning, it's all he wants with the idea of God, the surrounding of good. But at last comes to the same point at last, that at last is very important. What he's saying at the beginning, that falls off. At last the idea comes, thy will be done and keeps nothing to himself. That is self-abnegation. The philosopher with his knowledge sees that the seeming self is a delusion and easily gives it up. That what's the seeming self is a delusion? What is actually the idea of the self, if you take, what's the idea of the self? That I am, there is something called I, who is the doer and who is the enjoyer, karta and bhokta. The same way as, 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 as like a bhakta, you, a jnani will find out that he is neither the karta nor the bhokta. 
this idea of the doer and the enjoyer that itself can be a big discussion that you can find in your life that you are not the doer if you can judge your mind you may think it is my decision my choice it is i after my deciding i do the work but if you are really a matured person quite wise person and quite introspective you will find not a single decision is so called yours the mind is not single mind this has various mental modules at at a time only one module gets activated and that module has fixed responses for a particular <coughs> stimuli it has fixed responses and it is bound to take that response giving you a feeling that it is you who are responding responding as per your choice it is more of a self aggrandizement it doesn't speak of really of your choice and the world of advertisement knows it very well you sit in front of the tv with so many advertisements why because they know that at last you will think you have chosen but actually they have stimulated a particular module mental module which has its own fixed responses and it has chosen to give a very crude example the car which you are going to buy there is no need to keep a very beautiful model in front of it to sell it what now you will understand they are trying to influence some other mental module so that your decision can be easily remodeled you think i have chosen but most probably it was that the mental module which got activated that chose the whole entire world of advertisement is that there are so many experiments uh, i will just speak of one experiment means why we are saying this at last you have to i have to i have the idea that i don't own my mind it is playing full around it, it is just playing full with me it is just fooling around may giving me a sensation i am taking the decisions and it is actually taking the decision as per the modules which are getting activated with all its fixed responses so if that's the situation i i what i have to do i have to sit back not allow the mental modules to be pampered by the so called limited i the moment that limited i comes into existence immediately it gets hooked up with so many mental modules so it is like the hub your eye is like the hub of a will and all the mental modules are like the spikes get rid of the hub all the spikes will fall off at a time in this life our attempt generally is to get rid of one desire the one who has got addicted to smoking with a lot of effort may get rid of smoking but is he liberated so no there are thousands other mental modules with their own fixed stimuli response conditions they are there to hold him to this limited psychophysical existence and it is almost impossible to get rid of those mental modules one by one it's almost impossible you have to get rid of the hub the ego which is holding all of them just let me give the idea of a mental module with an example it's a <clears throat> very famous experiment it has been done in one of the very famous universities that a group is a study course for not the regular students those are already established in life a short study course was being conducted by 
as a particular university where the most of the students were already established family members. So in the mid of the course, suddenly it was a course on a psych psychology. So in the mid of the course, it was decided that they will have an excursion, educational excursion. And they can take their family along with them for the, when they are going for the excursion. And they planned the excursion in such a way that they won't go to the destination directly. In the evening, the train will stop at a station, which is just a country town. And there they will spend the night. The next day, they will again catch hold of another train, link train to go to the destination. So the evening when they go to that country town, it's a small town. So it was all planned, it was all planned beforehand. That before going to the rest, there's the hotels to stay this night for the night. First, they will take him, take them to some uh, cinema, uh, the cinema hub where many cinemas are going on, two, three cinema are going on. Movies are going on. First, they will take them there. Let them watch the movies. After they come out, the hotels will be selected that where they, where uh, these people will stay. Now, as it is a small country town at the heart of that town, where the hustle bustle is, all the activities, there are very few hotels. It was not sufficient to accommodate all the people who came there. So some has to go in a bit uh, in, a, in the interior, in a much lonely place, secluded place. So now at the very beginning, if the choice is given, most probably all may think of staying in the heart of the town. And then uh, there will be some difficulty because uh, you cannot allot all there. So this, the, the one who were conducting this experiment, they told, let us do a thing. Let us ask them to watch a movie and we will find, they will take the decision in such a way, our problem will be solved. <clears throat> so there's two movies were going on. One was a family adventure movie and another was a horror movie. So some entered this family, family adventure movie, the others entered the horror movie. When they came out, after that, the choice was given. Where you want to stay? Do you want to stay in the heart of this town or bit in the secluded area in the countryside? It's very interesting. Those who went for the horror movie, they all chose the heart of the town. And they wanted to be in the hustle bustle of the town. And those who went for the family adventure movie, they all chose the secluded place, places, the countryside. And you know why? They just actually anticipated the those who were conducting the experiment, they anticipated it well beforehand that, that this is the thing which is going to happen. And that's what has happened. They all thought we have chosen. It is our choice. But actually what has happened, those who went for the horror movie, for them, the self-protection module, that is a particular mental module, that got activated. You say, why? Uh, that how you know that that has got activated? Just see in the, in the animal kingdom, when the predator is attacking the herd, the prey, the herd of prey, you will find that all the cattle are always running together. They will always be in a group and, and they will run to get rid of the predator. They will never get singularized. 
You know why? They know that if I'm in the herd, I may not get targeted because among many, I am one. Which if somehow because of the less because of less speed, or I got sidetracked, know it for certain, I am getting singularized. The entire focus will be on me. So the only way to save myself is to be in the herd. So for the self-protection module, to be in the herd is something which is the stimuli response conditioning. For such stimuli, that's the response. Whenever you are having that fear, you are you always want to be in the herd. That's how we have evolved. That's what the mental module speaks of. But the trick of the mental module is it, it has activated its own response, but it gives you a feeling, I have decided. You have not decided. It has already taken the decision. And those who went for the family adventure movie, always you want to be with your family alone. You don't want the entire herd to be there. So they all chose the seclusion. Just see, just by in that surrounding, in that movie, already a particular module got activated. That is taking the decision, but it gives us the idea, the feeling that I am taking the decision. So one who is introspective gradually finds out that the mind is playing a fool, is fooling us, is playing with us for ages together. So what's the way out? So our so-called ego is like a, the nanny sitting in a chair and all the mental modules are like the grandchildren. They all want to get pampered. So the nanny has to now sit quiet without pampering any of them. Or you're like just a person who were feeding birds every day morning. So many birds used to come and used to feed them cereals. Once you decide that I don't invite them anymore, you have to stop feeding them. That doesn't mean that they will stop stopping. They will stop coming immediately. They will, with the expectation, come back again and again. But you have to continue with perseverance that no more feeding. I'm just sitting there as a witness, no more feeding them. I don't nurture them anymore. The moment I nurture, again, they get strong. Again, the expectation grows. I don't nurture. And gradually, they get the feedback. They start falling off. Once they are not pampered, once they are not nurtured, they start falling off. So that's the idea of Jnana Yoga. So just see the bhakta, they're also what? I won't feed the ego. I won't, ego is fed by all those mental modules. I won't allow. I'm just a witness. So that is another type of self-abnegation. That is again the self-abnegation. So that's what thing Swamiji is saying. The philosopher means the one who resorts to this mindfulness with the idea, with the knowledge that I am the self separate from this psychophysical existence. So this with his knowledge sees that the seeming self is a delusion and easily gives it up. It is a self-abnegation again. So karma, bhakti and jnana all meet here. And this is what was meant by all the great preachers. By all, uh, this is what was meant by all the great preachers of the ancient times when they taught that God is not the world. There is one thing which is the world and another which is God. And this distinction is very true. But what is God and what is the world? The moment the cosmic mind comes to picture from where it came, we don't know. The, like a prism, the white light 
is breaking into the spectrum. On one side of the prism, <clears throat> you see the spectrum. On the other side, the white light is there always. If you try to get identified with the spectrum, you can never get identified with the white light. Get rid of the mind and get identified with the source of that spectrum, the white light. So these two, you cannot have just at a time. But that's what we are trying with all our religion. I want this, what you say, the God as well as the world. That God should be there to fulfill all the worldly desires. So this can never happen. That's the thing Swamiji is saying here. There is one thing which is the world and another which is God. And this distinction is very true. What they mean by world is selfishness. Now again, he's defining God in such a way where, where all can accept it, even an atheist. This is, this is a wonderful thing that Swamiji has done. You will not find the definition, such a wonderful definition of God, which the next sentence is going to speak. If I ask what God, that if you just go and ask any person of any belief that you believe in God, just say what God is. It will be a big headache for that person. He has to resort to scriptures with so many references and try to try to explain you what is God. Any religion, that's what they will do. But here Swamiji is speaking one sentence, just one sentence. What to speak of the so-called, the, all the faiths, even those who have no faith, they will say, yeah, it does, does have a meaning. What's that sentence? Unselfishness is God. It's a mantra. It's a wonderful mantra. That's a wonderful sentence. Unselfishness is God. As simple as that. Even if you try to understand it from philosophical point of view, from theological point of view, you will find it's a wonderful definition. To understand it, let us resort to one of the Ramakrishna's example, parable. That the self, the ultimate reality is like ocean. The word we call it God or Brahman. It has, it is unlimited. It's like ocean. This is with no end. And then from nowhere, the ego comes into picture. What's the ego? A pot. The pot wall is the ego. Now you immerse that pot into that ocean. The ocean water enters into it. And this is the selfishness. Actually, it is the same ocean water. Now you say it is the water of the pot. And once it gets segregated by the pot, the outside waves can in no way disturb the water inside. I find my heart no more resonates to the sufferings of the world. I'm quite happy with my own, this corner of my house, with myself thinking that its happiness is the be all and end all of existence. I have sufficient amenities, amenities for my own uh, pleasure, for my own uh, sustenance, for my own nourishment. I'm happy. Rest all I may do as a sense of duty, but it in no way as such really uh, disturbs me. I don't feel that empathy. There's something that others, when I, something pinches me, I feel the pain. But when the world is at pain, it as such doesn't pain me. Out of duty, I may go out. Why it has happened? Because of that strong ego boundary. 
You may say, these are all just your make-belief. No. Just see a small child for whom even the psychologist will say his, the child's ego is diffused, diffused consciousness. It is yet to develop the idea of that crystallized ego, that this is me. You find a wonderful thing that in the last class also we were saying that there so many children are playing, one falls, gets hurt and starts crying. Others starts crying. It's a very common thing. And I have seen as I was in, in India in the residential schools for quite long, where the students from the very childhood are staying in the hostel. It's a very common feature there. They're so tied together, bound together, that love uh, dissolves the ego. One gets hurt, the other feels the same hurt as if they start crying. We have seen that if one child is reprimanded for some mischief and gets some scolding, the entire class will boycott the teacher. All felt hurt. That if one student is scolded, all feels hurt. In the hostel, it happens especially. When they have left their hearth and home, where they're staying in the hostel all together, their ego boundaries are very, very thin. And how nicely they're relating. That says, even in the animal kingdom, it's as a human, our ego is so crystallized. Even the animals, somehow they relate to the spirit even unknowingly. Have you seen a herd of birds flying in the sky? A wonderful thing. They have a wonderful formation. Always these birds will have a formation. And suddenly, they will, you will see that all instantly takes a turn. So we have noticed it. But a wonderful thing, we never questioned that how come all the birds at a time without any commander can take that instant turn, either left or right, and still continue with the same formation. Go to the ocean where the fish are all swimming together in a herd. The same thing is observed there. Even if you go to any aquarium, you will find wherever the small fish are in a herd, they suddenly take a turn. Without, there is no commander. So, so the signs also were perplexed by, by this behavior. They tried a lot to find out the reason till now. There is no satisfactory reason that how it happens. But a section of science have started saying very interesting thing that there must be some unified non-local consciousness to which somehow they are all relating. So these are the things, even in life you will find if it happens especially with the twins. The twins have a very special bond. If one twin gets sick, the other immediately gets sick. It's a very common feature. Even if they're separated, if they're not staying together, they find that somehow they can as if, uh, being influenced by the other state of being. So this speaks that there's ego is something which is creating that barricade of, uh, is creating a barrier. You remove the barrier, God or Brahman is that infinite expanse of that consciousness, all pervading consciousness. So even if you try to relate with the so-called theology, you will find there cannot be a wonderful, more wonderful definition than this that unselfishness is God. Remove that selfishness. Immediately you are one with the God. And for that unselfishness, how to attend that, how to get rid of that ego boundary? Self-abnegation. So this, and at the same time, the so-called even the enlightened atheist did not have to believe in God. 
they can find that is it is speaking of a philosophy where just the self abnegation which they are practicing that for the common good i am ready to sacrifice my own so called uh, needs and wants they become secondary others uh, interest becomes primary so they will find oh, this is wonderful thing that's that's what we are practicing so it gives a very broad spectrum for the definition of god what a wonderful such a simple short sentence it likes almost like a mantra if we can repeat it just to remember what at, at last is our spiritual goal unselfishness is god one may live on a throne in a golden palace and be perfectly unselfish so next idea is this unselfishness has nothing to do with the physical state of your existence it actually speaking of your mind in what state your mind is is it unattached in spite of the, all the wealth which your karma has given you because of some karma you are in a state where you have prosperity but you have no sense of attachment that's the main thing if you have and even if you are in a poor heart a heart you know in a poor in, in you are just in, uh, in a slum area you know having no amenities for proper living a good decent living but you may be extremely attached so that's the thing what's the state of your existence that's not important what's the state of your mind so that's the thing swamiji will be saying next one may live on a throne in a golden palace and be perfectly unselfish and then he is in god another may live in a hut and wear rags and have nothing in the world yet if he is selfish he is intensely merged in the world so what actually is the state of your mind that's more important now swami ji will be speaking of some religious practices which deviates us from the practice real practice of unselfishness to come back to one of our main points we say that we cannot do good without at the same time doing some evil that's what with with the idea with which swami ji started that generally that apparently we have the idea that if you go on doing good and go on eradicating evil a time will come where everything will be good we will have a perfect world and swami ji till now was discussing that 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 is never going to be this world they will find that evil finds expression with all the reformation the evil finds expression in a different way its nature changes but it is there you cannot get rid of it sometimes in a much more aggravated fashion and we all we, there is no need for explanation in the present world 200 300 years back with all the idea that the science and technology is going to make this world the heaven and we have already started finding that what a hell we have created of out of it sometimes we brag the civilization without the idea of god just few days back i was seeing a ted talk wonderful ted talk that what is truth that helps us to sustain if that's the truth which helps us to sustain just think of those civilizations for 50 60000 years with all the gods and hordes of beliefs <clears throat> they were existing they were existing for such long for we don't even for millions of years even history cannot go back and in just 300 years 
by taking just the filtered world, the world which is filtered through our senses, that alone to be real, with no God, no such <clears throat> spiritual dimensions of existence, in just 300 years, we are almost at the brink <clears throat> of the precipice. Any moment we may reach that annihilation. It took just 300 years. If, that's, if the truth is the thing which sustains, then what is the truth? We ourselves have to question. So that's the thing Swamiji is saying, that this idea that by, by so-called doing good with the help of science and technology, we are going to get rid of the evil of the world. It's never going to be. This has to coexist. So to come back to one of the main points, we say that we cannot do good without at the same time doing some evil or do evil without doing some good. Every evil has some good. You may say, how? It is the evil, the one uh, who has actually infected your computer with the virus. What the good he has done? There are so many antivirus uh, this, uh, softwares are there. How it came? Because of that crime. So there's a goodness is as a, sometimes comes uh, just in, in response to the evil. All the, at present in the world, the peace and other things we are thinking of, the international, uh, all the bodies are there for world peace. It's the product of the Second World War. So evil, even in ill, the goodness is hidden. Previously, the wars were rampant. Anytime anyone un, were attacked unprovoked, you don't know that you are, you are having a very peaceful society. And it was always the situation. A civilized society is being plundered by some the tribes, they come and plunder. With all the civilization, somehow you find that when to a certain extent the relaxation came, it's totally destroyed, it is plundered. So what you say that, uh, that we were saying that it is never, that it's never going to happen so that you have a very peaceful society, it's constantly going on. Right? And that when the evil is there, and now you with all, now, now there's an international, what we were speaking, international bodies, that who are constantly dictating terms to all the countries that you cannot do this, you cannot do that. Otherwise, this world would have been a horrible sin. So the, it is actually the wars which has really made us think of peace. And again, it is, it is too much peace that again led us to the war. So these constant, this balancing is going on. You can never think one totally annihilated, the other is existing. So that's the thing you saying that there's even behind the evil, there is some good. It is a war which brings the peace. And again, it is a peace, too much peace. When you forget that there can be any uh, so-called uh, attack on our civilization, the war comes, unknowingly it comes. When the entire America was boasting of their democracy, just see what has happened just a few months back. That when you think that we are established, we are, we are the exemplars of the world, it comes, it is all, the evil is already being breeding, is breeding there, it just, finds an outburst. It's happening all the time. You cannot think of a world where evil has been totally eradicated. From the evil again, the good comes. So knowing this, how can we work? So there have therefore been sects in this world who have in an astoundingly preposterous way preached slow suicide. Yes, there are some that uh, religious practices, that as I cannot live without killing others, so it's better 
Why to live such a life? Almost slow suicide. As the only means to get out of world, because if a man lives, he has to kill poor little animals and plants or do injury to something or someone. Swamiji is not taking the name of religion. We are also not taking. But uh, if you study the history of religion, you will find that, yes, there are such practices. Even within Hinduism also it is there that they would prefer that the prayopavashana, the idea is there, that I will fast till death. Sometimes the idea behind prayopavashana is different. What is the idea? That as Sri Ramakrishna is to, if you have realized, for a realized soul, suicide is prescribed. That's a different aspect. Swamiji is not speaking here. As Sri Ramakrishna is to say that a particular uh, what you say that medicine is there called Makaradhvaja in Ayurveda. That comes through crystallization. You pour the liquids in a bottle, it crystallizes, the medicine is formed. Now to get the medicine, you have to break the bottle. So how long the bottle is required till the crystallization happens. Once the crystallization happens, this bottle is not required. So similarly, once you have realized, then suicide is prescribed. It is very subjective. But here Swamiji is not speaking of that. There are some others who think my life is always at the cost of others. So they may go for the priopovation. Slow suicide. So is, does it really, really help us to is, in the spiritual sense? Most probably not. That's the thing Swamiji will be saying. It's not the annihilation of the body. The annihilation of the mind which speaks of spiritual freedom. If you, even if you annihilate the body, what happens, the mind still remains with all its urges, which will force you again to have the body. The relation between the mind and the body is just at present like the body, uh, uh, the relation which you have with your nails. The nails grows, you peer off, again the nail grows. Similarly, the mind is like the body and our gross body is like the nails. One after other, the body is coming out it is paired off, another body comes. As long as the mind stays, life after life, we have to continue with our urges. If we just commit suicide of this physical body, it won't do. So it is not the suicide of the body. It is as if to kill the mind. That's the thing which speaks of spiritual liberation. So it's not that slow suicide which can give us any spiritual benefit as such. So that's the thing Swamiji will speak of. We will take up that portion again in the next class as it's almost almost the time for uh, uh, this class to be over. So thank you all for attending this class today. Uh, uh, Namaskar. Namaskar Maharaj. Namaskar. Namaskar. Thank you Swamiji. Namaskar. 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 Namaskar.